This podcast is generously supported by Zondervan Bibles and the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible edited by D.A. Carson, featuring notes and articles that help you follow God's redemptive plan as it unfolds throughout Scripture. Find out more at NIVBiblicalTheologyStudyBible.com. Want to learn how to interpret and teach the entire Bible in a way that is Christ-centered and clear? Learn with us here on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. So Nate and John Aiken here with the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast, where we want to have conversations about the scriptures and show how they are Christ-centered, but in a way that makes it uh, clear for our hearers and those that we would uh, teach and, and preach to. And so uh, we're continuing our conversation on the on the book of Daniel. We have with us, we have Jason Redberg, who's in uh, Minnetonka, Minnesota at Redeemer. And then we have with us Jeff Hay, all the way from Dublin, Ireland, Bally Cullen Community Church. Uh, guys, thanks for uh, being on the podcast. All right, brother, well, I'm coming right back to you. Tell us, tell us summary summary of chapter seven in Daniel, and then we'll kind of work our way. It's obviously a pivotal text, picked up a lot in the New Testament. But tell us about Daniel seven. Yeah, well, we're now into the apocalyptic literature, uh, the language. We've moved from the narrative, uh, and yet it's still linked with the first section with the chaotic structure. We see parallels, I think, between Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. So what happens? Well, here we see that Daniel has a dream. It's a first year Belshazzar, so we're not clearly going in chronological order through this book, and he has a dream. And he's at the seaside, as it were, but it's not a bucket and spade scene. Uh, Here he is, uh, and the four winds of heaven churn up the great sea, and out come four great beasts. First is like a lion, he sees, with eagle wings. The second one uh, he sees as a bear. Uh, third beast is like a leopard, again with four wings. And and they're, they're meant to be seen as fierce and fast and deadly terrifying and then we've got this fourth beast which is described as different completely different than the rest and terrifying i mean if we think the the beasts are from jurassic park movies i think we have to think even more gruesome horror movies here rather than uh, jurassic park uh, we've just been in the lion's den uh, these beasts would make those lions look like gentle little kittens so that's the uh, that's the vision that he sees. And then he continues to see uh, about the throne in ancient days, but maybe we'll come back to that and the Son of Man vision that he sees because then later on in, in the chapter, verse 15 to 26, the, the, the explanation of this vision comes into place. And they represent the kingdoms of the world uh, to come as a, is what we see. So it's generally held uh and i think you whatever you've decided to interpret in daniel chapter 2 you you need to go with here uh probably babylon uh the lion most folks would agree with that then some people would split the medes and persians but the book of daniel seems to keep that together so the bear uh would relate to the medo persian empire the leopard the greek empire uh and then the other final 
beast that can't be described. Now, in the first place, it could refer to Rome, but because it is clearly emphasized that this beast is different than all that's gone before, uh, I think that is stressed in the text, I think in verse 7 and, and verse 19. So it's an empire that can't be categorized so easily. Complex, ten horns, terrifying. Uh, so as I say, this could represent Rome, but I think in the way that it's uh, picked up and picked up in the New Testament, not just that, but empires that will come and go. Uh, that is, that's some of the, the vision. Uh, I think understanding some of it, I think re- without going into all the details, Revelation 13 picks up a beast coming out of the sea that resembles all of these beasts together. So while in Daniel, the beast might be identified with particular successive kingdoms across time, uh, in Revelation, this one beast, 13, is like a lion, a bear, a leopard with 10 horns, all amalgamated together. So probably representing all empires that are opposed to God and how Satan is ultimately behind the work. And then we have the little horn that's mentioned as well. and I think the little horn is picked up in the New Testament as possibly identified as a man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians. But as 1 John 2 verse 18 says, uh, Dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. So there's going to be many little horns opposed to God's people and there will be one final one. So that was sort of the way where I was interpreting uh, this, but it is kingdoms that are coming and going uh, and in opposition to God's people. That's a little bit. Maybe when we go to Christ, we can go into the middle bit, but that all right? Yeah, that's great. So uh, maybe John, uh, other, anything additional there and then textual, there's obviously a lot of textual questions there. Anything you would add in that? Uh, Not really to that part. I think there, there are some things I want to bring out in terms of connections with, previous chapters, but I may, I'll just say that for the Christ connection stuff. Jason, anything to add? Okay. All right, Jeff, then give us the, so this is in some ways, obviously some would say more direct prophecy. And we've talked about that in some previous episodes, but give us the Christ connection uh, in Daniel seven. Well, the center points uh, of the chapter verses nine to 14, he sees, uh, the ancient of days, God uh, on the throne, as it were, uh, describing. I think it really shows that he's in control as well. He's the ancient of days. Everything else is nothing compared to him. I think interesting in verse 2, even the beast coming out of the sea, it was the winds of heaven uh, that stirred the beast to come up, which shows that God is still on the throne and, and, and holding it all. But then we see in verses 13 and 14, I think the direct Christ connection, where he sees one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven who approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. So like a son of man, we've got human characteristics, but he's also coming with the clouds of heaven, divine, the clouds Uh, often represent uh, God's presence coming down. So this figure, this Son of Man figure, uh, human yet divine, and he is given, verse 14, complete authority. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power over all peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. 
So he's clearly divine and his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom will never be destroyed. And of course, Jesus takes on this title himself, the Son of Man, uh, who is a human, the fully man, fully God, king who is on the throne, uh, who will ultimately defeat Satan and all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him through what he has done. So I think this passage really does point directly to Jesus as the Son of Man. And then at the end of the chapter, at verse 26, and so when it talks about the kingdom uh, going on and everybody serving him, I think it's looking forward and the evil one destroyed when Jesus will reign uh, completely in the new creation. Uh, So that's where I saw the direct links to Christ. Now be a good time to hear from our sponsor. This podcast is generously supported by Zondervan Bibles and the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible edited by D.A. Carson. Biblical theology allows you to ponder the individual stories and themes of Scripture while observing how they all fit together in God's grand biblical narrative. That's why this unique study Bible features three articles in introducing biblical theology and 25 articles unpacking key themes of Scripture. The NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible contains detailed book introductions, 20,000 verse-by-verse study notes, 28 theologically rich articles by authors such as Tim Keller and Kevin DeYoung, hundreds of full-color photos, more than 90 maps, and over 60 charts. All of this allows readers to marvel at the big story while savoring each detail. With a focus on biblical theology and the overarching story of Scripture, the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible helps readers follow God's redemptive plan as it unfolds throughout the Scriptures. Find out more at NIVBiblicalTheologyStudyBible.com. John, I'll come to you next, uh, Christ Connections, and then Jason, I'll come to you after that. Yeah, obviously, um, what Jeff has said was um, something I brought out. One of, one of the things, just just textually, again, as we as we think about the shift from the narrative section to the prophecy section, as we talked about earlier on, the the truth of the narrative section is what sets up the fact that God's people can have confidence in the prophecy that He's giving given here. And then there's two things, just in terms of connections. Again, that this there's a there's a Genesis one to three connection here with the beasts, this idea of the beast, and then the son of Adam uh, language that's being used. Uh, And so it's calling us back to the creation. One of the things that people need to understand about eschatology is that, and I can't remember who said this phrase originally, but last things will be like first things, uh, but first things restored. And so you've got this whole, this whole narrative is this whole vision is being, is being that the background of it is Genesis uh, one to three and how man was given dominion over the beasts. And then now because of Adam and Eve uh, submitting to a beast, now the beasts have dominion over the son of man. And you see this throughout the history of Israel, that the, the foreign nations that subjugate them are referred to as beasts that are ravaging the vine, for example, Psalm 80. And so this, this whole, like we're in a broken fallen world because things have been flipped on their head, but you see glimpses of, things being made right in Daniel. One, uh, the king who's over this, this vast dominion is made in, Dan- in Daniel 4 is made to act like a beast. Uh, and he's humiliated. And God says, I'm going to give the kingdoms, I'm gonna give the authority to the lowliest of men. Uh, and so this, this idea that man will once again reign over the beast and that mm. God will fulfill his promise. And then you have two that Daniel six, we just looked at Daniel is rescued from what the lion's den. And, uh, and so, as Jeff points out, this vision happens actually previous to the lion's den 
his narrative historically, because it happens during the reign of Belshazzar, but Daniel can be real, real confident that God's going to rescue him from the lion's den because he's given a promise in Daniel seven, that he's going to rescue him from the Babylonian lion, uh, you know, the lion that represents Babylon. And so you have these, you have these connections that just give people confidence that God is going to keep this promise. He is going to exalt the son of man, give him a kingdom that never, uh, that never ends. And then obviously Jesus is the fulfillment of this. And Jesus is the one and, and to, to, get to some of the other points. I do think, I think clearly the first three kingdoms of Daniel two, Daniel seven are mentioned in the book. I don't, I don't, I don't even think they're up for debate, although the, I know there's some debate, but the first beast is, is Babylon. The second beast is Medo-Persia. The third beast is Greece. The question is the fourth beast. I do think it's Rome. And then I think it stands for a new resurrected Rome or a, a great Babylon, the greater, whatever you want to call it from, from revelation as, as Jeff pointed out this, this apex predator that's a combination of, of everything that's come before. And so you have this already not yet tension in that Jesus comes, he is the son of man, he dies, he's raised from the dead, and he ascends, right? He comes with the clouds of heaven to the ancient of days. I mean, this is, this is the, the, the language like Psalm 24 and other places that the early church thinks this is, a, this is what happens in the ascension is that Jesus literally ascends marches to the throne, receives dominion, sits down at the right hand of God. He's ruling and reigning already. He's not yet consummated his reign. And then, and then these images are used and then pushed forward to the end of times where the angel says, hey, the, the same way he's gone into heaven is the same way he's going to return. He's going to return with the clouds. And there's going to be this empire at the end of the age, which I think, you know, led by Antichrist against the people of God. And, and they're going to be put down and the, and the Son of Man is going to reign forever and all, all the beasts and everything will be under his feet. Uh, and so I think you see, um, that's what I think you see in this, in this passage. What I would say is, that just real quick, though, and, and I'll uh, give my time over, is as a preacher, just be real careful about how many of those connections you bring out and how much you get into about all the specific details. And, and just, again, not missing the big E on the eye chart. Jesus is the son of man. His kingdom is going to reign forever. All the other, any kingdom that opposes God is going to be put down. They're all going to be put down, including the last one. Uh, because when I preached this before, um, my wife who loves me and, and I have no bigger fan than her was like, man, that was just like a lot of information. <laughs> Almost kind of boring. And it's like, yeah, it felt, it, it kind of felt like that while I was preaching it. And so I was really excited about it, but I was just like seeing people's faces. And so just be real careful about uh, how much you get into the, to the weeds on this. That's good. Jason uh, thoughts there, Christ connections. Nothing to add for, from what they uh, they gave, that was awesome. Gotcha. Yeah, you're like you can, it kind of stinks. You're like Daniel seven should not be a boring sermon at all. I mean, it's so yeah. fantastic. It was on it was on me, not on Daniel. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So Jeff, then how did you take this and apply it? Uh, certainly, there's there's lots here. So just kind of give some some details as far as how you applied uh, this to your people. Well, thinking of uh, where they are and first hearing this vision, this message, they're in a hostile environment, facing difficult times, things are, are tough, what's going to keep you going? And 
before we get on to the hope that's in Christ, this passage will be showing, listen, there's empires that are going to be opposed to God's people and they'll keep being coming, uh, that are going to keep coming and trying to devour and destroy uh, God's people. And so basically we need to be realistic. This world is hostile to God in many ways and there's going to be difficulties on the journey. We are not necessarily guaranteed an easy life. Even though you have a book there, your best life now uh, on your shelf there. This is not uh, what is going to be happening. Uh, So, yeah, be realistic. Uh, And I think as opposed to chapter two, which is, I think, very there's links there and it had the hope of the stone growing and the gospel going out over time. This is really a reminder. There's going to be difficulties. There's a spiritual battle going on. It's going to be tough and it's going to go on even after you, Daniel, God's people need to know and have a realistic picture. And we need to have a realistic picture. Life's going to be hard. Life's going to be difficult. uh, And we should expect that. Jesus said as much. So, Really wanted folks to have a realistic picture, and that will help them keep going when it's tough. But then also that we can be hopeful that God's still in control no matter what. We see him in control here. He's the one stirring up the beasts uh, out of the sea. He's the one in complete control. Jesus is going to come. He's going to end it all. We're going to live with days and beasts and rulers and tyrants down through history, and that's happening. Whether it is we have it easy here, uh, in many ways in our context compared to, as you said, Sudan, North Korea. But we're living in a world of terrifying beats, but ultimately Jesus is going to come and end the war, and we know the final outcome. So, yeah, when faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome's secure, so that gives us hope. Jason, uh, ways you applied this to uh, to Redeemer? Yeah, along the same lines of what Jeff was just talking about, um, Tom Schreiner had this great quote in reference to uh, verse 27, where the text says, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Schreiner says, The saints are included corporately in their leader. Jesus is the Son of Man, the King, the Stone, who represents the saints. The saints triumph insofar as they belong to him and are united to him. His victory is their victory. The Son of Man will crush the head of the serpent and all the ferocious and beastly kingdoms that oppress human beings and advance evil. And I just said, so imagine you're a worshiper of God. You're enduring persecution at the hands of a wicked ruler who hates God, wants to destroy his people. Imagine knowing that God has promised a deliverer who will come and conquer the greatest enemy and a victory who will reign forever. And then imagine hearing that you would be incorporated into that, that his victory would be your victory. Uh, I can't think of any truth that would help persevere believers uh, more than this. That's good. Amen. John, uh, ways you applied it when you preached this? The same ways, I would just say, just in terms of, of uh, I would kind of com- combine uh, Jeff and Jason that um, the, one, I'm just I'm just talking about living in a broken world and a hurting world, and, and how one day it's going to be made right. But but two, talking about it is it is interesting that uh, and scholars bring this out. It's the it's the it's the Son of Man in the middle of the text who receives the kingdom, and it's the saints at the end who receive the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And it, so there's this, this corporate identification of 
the head and the body, the king with his people. And so I, I bring that out to say, you know, that the whole, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And so through, through Acts 14, right, Discipleship 101 and the first missionary journey, through many tribulations, you will enter the kingdom of God. And so I try to just point, like, we should not expect to receive anything less than what Jesus received in terms of opposition, and we shouldn't expect to receive anything less than what Jesus received in terms of vindication. Mm. And, um, and so that's, that's the good news, as they said, that helps you persevere. Did you, John, did you make a connection? I, th- I think you may have made this connection. So in throughout Daniel kind of making this parallel, we, we are exiles as well. We live uh, as sojourners. Uh, that fourth beast, is there any connection or you made particularly as we sometimes want to see ourselves as Israel instead of Babylon? How did you make that connection as far as thinking through our place, particularly in America? I did. And I'm, I'm trying to look through my notes. I, ha- I have made that um, connection before that while I, you know, we are, this, this land is not our home. Our ultimate citizenship is not in the United States of America. It's in the kingdom of God. It's in heaven. And that I, I'm thankful for it and want to love the United States of America in the same way that Daniel and, and his friends loved uh, Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and those kinds of things. But, you know, when I think about the Holocaust of abortion, when I think about um, – some of the things that the United States of America, again, not all of it. And there, there's, there's many things I've been grateful for. Um, but the things that we have done that are, are, are quite clearly in opposition and, and some of that, you know, we see with history of slavery and, and those kinds of things and, and Jim Crow and, and just the things that we've seen as a result um, and that we still live with to this day are things that are in opposition to God. And so while there are things that we have done that I think, are good things and things that are consistent with the word of God. There are plenty of things that we have done that are in opposition. And so we are ultimately United States of America is not going to last forever. The kingdom of God is. And so it's, it's one of these kingdoms. Yeah. We may be the, 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 the superpower right now. Here's the one thing I know. There's two things I know for sure about history. One, every person who's predicted when Jesus is going to return has been wrong. And two, every superpower falls eventually. Thank you for listening to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com and please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources.